Greetings, this is Timothy Owens, the Digital Apothecary, and today I want to talk about um, a kind of like kind of some issues in terms of medication adherence and digital health. So, for those who have been following me, know that I'm very passionate about this area. It's been huge for me for quite some time. And there was a recent article on CNBC from Chrissy Farr about produce digital health, and I think this is going to make some big news. But this is also stuff that's been kind of in the back channel has been talked about, I think, for so, quite some time. So it's not really, I mean, I think for a lot of people it's going to be the news. I think for some other people it's not coming as no surprise, um, especially if you see like websites like Glassdoor and some posts that have been going on there and a few others just about um, some issues um, in terms of funding and such. So let's start with some of the basics. So I have seen many medication adherence technologies in the past decade. So I started off reviewing mobile medical apps with iMedical apps back in 2011, and I was given the duty um, as a writer and then editor to review um, apps that are focused on patient care. And one of the biggest ones, naturally, as a pharmacist, was medication adherence. And over the years, I've just been watching and change. I remember talking even to MediSafe back before they even had an iOS app, and talking to them about like, man, you need to get on iOS, and now. It's so huge, and they've been partnered up, and they get on the front page for Apple now. So I think that's really cool how far it's come. And nonetheless, it's interesting to see some of the some of the apps that I remember reviewing years ago die off, and now some are still around. Like you have MediSafe, you still have HealthPrize, you still have Mango, uh, MyMeds. I think is another one. Um, but a lot, of the, a lot of others have disappeared. I remember one being very successful was made by a nurse. That kind of replicated like a user interface that was like a um, medicine cabinet almost. Like you had like pill bottles and what they looked like and such. And yet, in all that time, there has been not really many clinical studies evaluating medication adherence apps in terms of impact on uh, on actual adherence. And what you've seen is just MediSafe done like I think two years ago or one year ago, their MediSafe VP. Uh, came out and heard some stuff about that in the background as well and then it comes out and shows improvement adherence but self-reported adherence based on a mercy scale analysis and I've talked about that in the past so you can look at some videos on that whole topic issue um, but no clinical improvement and then you've had an explosion of smart pill bottles I mean that's not necessarily new. I mean smart pill bottles or capsicum pill bottles have been around for a long time. Clinical trials have been using them for God knows how long at this point, um, probably longer than I've been um, even in school <laughs> back then. So then there's been issues with that. I mean, my favorite one was one, I think, um, with PrEP or Truvada, and it was published in New England Journal of Medicine where they had a CAPS and they were tracking adherence, but then when they did blood analyses, they didn't find any presence of the drug in the body. And we've seen that for some other trials, and it's been quite fascinating just even like how that has occurred. So. Smart pill bottles, smart pill trays, everything else has had trials. I would say uh, Glowcaps has probably the largest amount of trials that have been done, and in terms of clinical impact has seen very, not very positive ones, especially around CAD. And then there's also been involved with um, post-kidney transplant, I think has been others. And transplant medication is a big one. And then you had the bioadjustable sensors, two companies, you had eTech Bio, which 
rebranded itself as eTech RX and Proteus Digital Health, and they've been focused on different things. Proteus Digital Health obviously helped bring the, with Otsuka Pharmaceuticals, the first um, uh, tablet with the sensor built into it to the market, and they're still trying to push that product out of the market. And then eTech RX and Proteus Digital Health have also been pursuing putting capsules that have the sensors built on them in around drugs to give the patients, and they've been exploring those as well. And yet, you know, every time we look at like just um, the literature, like you either hear they're called pilot trials, uh, small scale, big ones. Again, I go back to uh, Glowcaps. I mean, I applaud their work because I think they really set the stage in terms of looking at, you know, adherence. And I would say, by and large, a lot of these trials have not been, in a clinical sense, very positive. Um, and one thing that got me was, I think in the British Medical Journal this year, there was a critique published about looking at um, the Abilify system and saying, you know, it doesn't actually approve adherence. Now, I actually tried doing that, own, looking at all the literature around Abilify to see if it actually did the same thing. And I walked away saying, you know, it wasn't really focused on that. Those studies weren't really focused on adherence necessarily. And then you have to take a step back and say, well, why aren't all these companies looking at adherence? What, how do you actually measure adherence in a clinical trial? And I think you have to actually even start asking yourself that. Um, what data, how do you define adherence? A lot of adherence is defined as set off or cut rate anywhere between 80, 85%. Um, and if you reach that level, then you're claimed to be adherent to therapy. So it's not even 100%, 80% is cut off, which it's a nice number, but you could maybe imagine for some therapies that wouldn't be that great. Imagine if you were like 80% adherent to birth control, if you were 80% adherent to antiviral therapy, 80% adherent to dr uh, drugs for mental health. Now you start getting an area where you're like, okay, maybe it's not that great. Maybe oncology, like maybe you should probably be a little higher, right? And that's the thing that gets me. Maybe for hypertension, yeah, I, I would say definitely know a lot of patients with hypertension um, in that don't take their aspirin every day or take their diabetes medications every day. And yet we still manage to get by with those. Um, so it's not like there's a one size fit all. So we know that from a disease treatment perspective, adherence differs across in terms of how, what is a good magical number. And then the other thing with adherence is we know that it's multifactorial. There's intentional versus non-intentional. I've talked about this at large in other videos. So we haven't seen a one-size-fits-all approach to adherence. And I think you'll hear a lot of people saying, well, yeah, that makes sense. So um, we can't just say this product's going to work for everyone. I mean, it would be great from a business standpoint, but I think realistically it's not. So why So why can't we just stick with text messaging systems? Why can't we just stick with um, having a nurse come out and administer medication to a person? Why can't we? And I think... This comes back to an issue I've been philosophically kind of struggling with. Is um, I'm going to take a step back here. So I teach pharmacy students the difference between like how to document, like self notes, so subjective objective assessment plan. And the one area that always gets down is medications. Is that an objective or subjective data? So if a patient tells you they took their medications every day, is that right or wrong? Is that objective or, or is it subjective information? I would argue it's subjective. There's very little to me saying what it truly patients using with their medications. And this has always been something I've struggled with clinically because working in different um, areas, um, two predominant outpatient heart failure management, cardiology, 
and then home health care, visiting patients in their homes and seeing them take their medications. By and large, I would say oftentimes, like, patients don't take their meds, and they will tell me to my face they do. My favorite is, you know, a patient gaining weight, volume, has peripheral edema. We're seeing um, the New York Heart Association score going up, and you ask them, did you take your loop diet right last night? Yeah. Did you take it this morning? Yeah. Well, how much did you take? I took like a tablet or two tablets. I don't remember. Husband and wife in the room? Ask them. I don't know what they did. Children? Ask them. Uh, I think I gave them this. It's a lot of I think. It's a lot of I think or maybe or yes or no. Um, you know, medication reconciliation process is huge in pharmacy, just trying to line this all up, and that's still a mess. And then half the time you go back after talking to a patient, you call the pharmacy and you just call and say, hey, um, when was the last time they uh, picked up this medication? They say, they picked it up about four months ago. So you know right away that even if it was a three-month supply, they're out. Um, my favorite is when you call and they say, oh, they picked it up for about like three months and I had a 30-day supply. So I know they're, they're, not, they're out. They don't have any medications. And... That is something that's always stuck out to me is that you will have patients with just poor recall bias or that they're just telling me that something that they know I want to hear. And yet, who suffers at the end of the day? The patient does. The patient suffers. Um, they're not getting adequate treatment. This is why I think even sometimes I've seen some coming to God moments. Uh, one that always stood out to me is a patient that had, I think, three entire pretenses that were pretty much maxed out and wasn't doing too well. And we're saying, well, we'll have to put you on another medication. And if this happens, and we gave him a lot of education, and he was like, wow, no one's ever really told me the importance of taking these drugs. And then two days later, has an event where he becomes hypotensive and falls over. And what you then find out is he was not adherent, taking all these medications and such. We didn't know how much he wasn't taking. Apparently, he wasn't really taking them ever. And goes home and starts taking all three medications, which he was not adherent to, and basically because of his blood pressure is tanked. And then he had an event from it. I would never know. I didn't know his adherence rate. Um, one that also personally I've seen a lot is one thing that always stood out to me is I remember as a kid, um, family member, TB exposure. We had to go all the time to a um, public health nurse to watch them get administered. And eventually then they were allowed to administer at home. And years ago helping them move, find out that they never, that the family member wasn't even getting the drugs anymore, the parents stopped giving it to them. <laughs> I mean, you just see these kinds of things even. I go help manage even my family members' medications, you go to anyone's, any patients at home, bring out shoe box, bring out bag, you do pharmacy brown bag events, people bring in medications that are expired, there's got ones that are discontinued, it's a whole mess. And that's when I hear people just talk about here and said large and they make it sound like such a simple thing. I just shake my head. I'm just like, it's hard for me to really try to gauge anymore if people really understand why adherence is such a big deal. Because for me, it's not even just taking the medications. It's also the optimization of therapy. And you've heard me talk about before medication adherence is not a $300 billion problem. Medication optimization is a real problem. But adherence is one thing. Knowing how much and when a patient is taking their medication can helpfully guide therapy. And I think this is where almost all the studies using adherence technology fail and fall flat. I've only seen one I really like. There was one 
with Veka, and Veka was doing one in, I want to say, kidney transplants for kids in a smart pill tray. And based on the data from that, the coach would then intervene, and if the, if the patient wasn't getting drugs, they would talk to the family members and the kid and go over why they weren't taking their medications, because they were actually using the data. And then there was a recent one for MedTierTech in oral oncology where a pharmacist was able to intervene if people were not being adherent on therapy. There was a small pilot, only 40, which is smaller than the other one, and that had more uh, touch points. And this is where I think, I think actionable data that we can use for clinical purposes is what's really missing from a lot of these design aspects. And I'd like to see that go further. I'd like to see more studies that say, hey, this is a tool and not just a one-all, be-all solution. I think everyone's trying to look at these adherence technology and think of them as, a, as basically a solution that will stand on itself and can handle itself. I don't care about the AI. I don't care about machine learning. I don't care about augmented intelligence. I don't care about all that. I think at the end of the day, these are tools that have to be overseen by someone, I would argue pharmacists, to intervene on once we receive and utilize it. Otherwise, it's meaningless. For me, I see adherence as a three-arm thing. One is basically organization. How do we make medications more organized for patients? Instead of just handing these like, pill bottles, can we package them better? You know, we see like the strip packaging from pill pack, we see blister packaging and all these other ones. So there's ways to make medications much more organized to deliver to a patient to use. Doesn't mean they're gonna take it. So now we have to deal with the other thing. How can you get a patient to basically want to undergo a habit or behavior change to take their medication? Why should they? I mean, like medications, taking medication is not normal. Um, I mean, it's not like eating. It's not like you wake up like, from the first day you're living that for the majority of us, we're used to taking all these different pills that justify, that change throughout our daily lives. It's not like eating or anything. It's not second nature. So you have to forcefully change a habit to do it. My favorite is people who have a heart attack, never had a health issue, and then go home on aspirin, uh, beta blocker, maybe an ACE inhibitor, statin, um, probably another antiplatelet uh, if they got a stent or anything else done, along with a whole other mesh things. And it's like, okay, your entire life just changed. You're now taking all these different medications with different regimens and such, and you never had to do that. It's kind of like diet and changing that over time. Like, okay, now you're you have diabetes, start eating healthier. It's like, well, I've been doing this for the past like, 40 years. You do expect me to suddenly change who I am? So changing habit. And I think guiding and changing habit is something that is very tough. Um, I think some people are just naturally adherent, don't need any help. I think other people are not adherent to therapy for different reasons. How do I spot the difference between the two? How can I determine habits that lead to them to take their medications or not take their medications? What data do I have? And for the longest time, we don't have this data. And now that we, you know, and we're seeing more of this data using, I, think, I would argue we've opened Pandora's box. We don't know really what to do with it or how to handle it. We're not trained to, but I think it's something that really changes the paradigm shift in terms of how we can help patients and optimize therapy. So coming back to it, we need something then, as I said, for promotion. So is it financial rewards? Is it gamification? Is it social alerts? Is it family members involved? Is it some, it, it, finding out what works for a person I think is one level too. But how do you know if whatever you're doing to promote uh, adherence is actually working? How do you track adherence? So data tracking for adherence is very tough. Uh, pill counting can work, but people can fudge that. Uh, medication possession ratio or NPR, you'll hear a lot, and that's used a lot, a lot of studies, especially anything from like managed care, I would say. Basically, did you pick up your medication? 
in which case Scott built through insurance to do that. So you're going to miss a like, cash price, you're going to miss a lot of data, and that could only work for certain populations. And I don't like NPR because it's all too easy to just say, well, they picked up their medication. But I don't know if they took it. They could just take it and save it and not take it, and they just bank up. I mean, one thing that's always stood out to me is when we have patients that uh, die, and then they want to uh, get rid of their medication, they bring in bags of drugs that they've had for years that you can tell they're still like, yeah, there's still 90 pills in here that was never taken, but they just kept buying it because they didn't know when to stop. Um, that happens. So, yeah, NPR, I think, is kind of good, but I think for true objective information, not really viable. Smart pill bottles, apps, self-reported, yeah, we can go for that and just accept where they are. Bioadjustable sensors, um, virtually observed therapy, I think they definitely have their place, especially for, what, let's say, high-risk conditions. So, But the more objective information that you can track is more valuable. But tracking adherence, patients don't care about. That's not for them. The organization is more for patients. The promotion's more for patients, but recommended by a provider or clinician to help them as intervention. The tracking is not patient-centric. It is clinician-centric. So there are different stakeholders in all these different areas around adherence that I think a lot of people are also missing. So you have to come from different perspectives in the design. You know, you're making a system that's more focused on a clinician, or you're making a system more focused on a patient. Rarely do I see anything that's focused on like both parties to intervene upon. And I don't think there can be. Nonetheless, I think that's having a multiple solutions is very valuable. So let's go back to bioadjustable sensors. Like why I think maybe they're too early for a time, maybe they're not, I don't know. But things that I always thought stood out to me is if you had a condition that you truly wanted to know they were taking and then you have data saying they are adherent. And yet the disease is getting worse. Now for in terms of optimization, you have some data you can look at and say, wow, okay, they're actually taking it. They're taking it appropriately. They're not screwing up and they're, they're getting worse or not goal. I now know objectively that this is the next step versus second guessing myself. Did I take the medications? Not do I want to play it safe and the, oh, the option they are taking they are taking the medications all the time like antihypertensive, maybe I don't want to give it full dose, maybe half a dose, I'll titrate up later. So it's all those things. Diabetes, the same idea. So chronic conditions, it really does fall into play. But even for infectious disease, psych, such, it's still key. But it's also opportunity. If they're not taking the medication, their adherence is all over the place. You know, can we look at other data that supports? And this is the other thing that I think is also missed, is we just look at adherence by itself. We're not tying together data that can also be utilized. Like the Proteus Digital Health um, and even like e-tech, like they actually have sensors that can detect like movement, rest, stuff like that. So, you know, you can look at a person and say, wow, you know, geolocation, you always, you were always taking your medications at home, but whenever you were outside of home, you weren't taking your medication, you were off track. I would never know that. If, and the patient may not even tie that together, but I have data that maybe it can help me out with that. Or like you only take your medications at night and you don't take them in the morning. Why? Let's talk about this. And then changing and see if we can intervene and change habits. Like, so for me, it's not even like putting us on a patient. Like now I look at it, it's like, maybe we should change to instead of a twice a day formulation with drugs, maybe now I have an argument why you should be on a once a day dosing drug. Or this medication is only good if you take it with food and you only take your medications with food, so let's change it to a different version. Or, hey, why don't we change it to away from even just an oral form? Maybe we should look at a patch. Maybe it's an injectable, long-acting injectable, things like this. Like Those are decisions that 
take more time working with a patient over multiple visits to get to, which means ease of cost, means logistically it's a barrier, patients may or may not show up. Um, like it's winter now for the Northeast. We have patients that won't show up in clinic because it, because it snows, and then that means we have to push it back. We're already busy. So like these are things that happen, and yet the data would help us make these decisions remotely and actually stay on top and more guide for patient care. And those are things that like, stand out to me. So I know it's this scene is a little bit all over, but this is kind of like the thought process I have in terms of why this stuff is so attractive to me at this current time. And even for myself, like it's, I still struggle in terms of trying to put a complete narrative around why this stuff all in my head works. And I'm still working on this whole process. But for me, it's kind of like, there's definitely issues. We know they're present. We know the old ways don't work. Otherwise, why are these problems still around for the past two centuries? I mean, adherence has always been an issue. We have solutions, but I don't think we're using them right at the end of the day if I had to sum it all up. I think we're missing an opportunity to take that data and use it as a tool, tracking to then make interventions to change and promote adherence for patients. But we don't really have a lot of good data research saying how to do that. I think that's a area that we're screwing up. That's why I look at some of the old stuff with um, glow caps where it's just like, bam, we'll throw smart pill bottles and then you look at the methodology and they still had the same amount of touch points throughout the entire trial that we normally do. Like, no one was monitoring data. The data was just staying back to the patient or they would just be tracking peripherally at the end of the day saying, oh, wow, we didn't, they didn't really change adherence. Like, having an alarm going off doesn't mean anything off the time. It's not just reminding a person how to take their drugs. It's also the other influences, but what are the habits that people have that influences their adherence and getting to the bottom is key. And that's something that I think we're still struggling to figure out. I think we need to applaud all the startup companies that are trying to get to the bottom of this. I think there's a long road to accomplish any of these goals, but I don't look at them and say that they're wrong for doing what they are. I don't think the research is bad necessarily. It's just we have to build upon them. If we still keep doing the whole pilotitis thing where we're doing the exact same thing we throw devices or software or someone, and then we stand back and say, wow, the adherence didn't change, then, then yeah, then it's bad on us because we have enough data right now to say those models don't work. We need to redevelop or really rethink about how we do all this. So anyway, this is Timothy Johnson, Digital Apothecary. Thank you for listening and have a good night. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.